This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Open Gaming Store. PDFs and print. Come on in. And listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links. My name is Harley Stroh, and I'm the line editor for the Dungeon Crawl Classics, and this is another classic edition of The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news reviews and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 271, we're going there and back again as we review the Adventures in Middle-Earth Player's Guide. Joining us for this episode is another Tome Show host, Jeff Wynn from the Appendix N Show, where they look at the classic stories that inspired D&D. Welcome back, Jeff. That's me. All right, and we also tapped uh, a whole cadre of Appendix N alum who really understand this sort of uh, classic literature. We have with us Jeremiah McCoy. Hi, ho there. And Lewis Brinton. What's up, everybody? Thanks for having me. There we are. And in this episode, we are talking about the Adventures in Middle-Earth Player's Guide, a licensed 5th edition D&D product set in Middle-Earth, uh, the world of the Lord of the Rings, which I'm sure most of our listeners probably know. I am serving as host for this episode. I am not, to be clear, the reviewer. Those three gentlemen that you just heard are doing the reviewing, uh, and and I was asked to sort of come in and do the hosting duties and all that, which is fine because I'm the one who normally hosts the review shows. So there we are. Before we jump into that discussion, however, we should mention our sponsor, OpenGamingStore.com. Open Gaming Store is an online gaming store that has a ton of PDF products uh, for many game systems as well as some print or physical products as, uh, on top of that, no, no one gets to pretend that they're the only place to pick up PDS for games. What's more, they offer a bonus. For every $20 you spend, you get a free PDF on top of whatever you bought. And if you enter the coupon code TOMESHOW2016, you get an additional 10% off. My open gaming store pick for this episode is Secrets of Alchemy from Fat Goblin Games. In case you wanted to find and mix up some King's Foil or perhaps get into some other sort of alchemical mischief. It's a PDF for less than $3 at Open Gaming Store. Check it out and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Now, to tell you a bit about, more about Open Gaming Store, I'd like to welcome an, an, an ooze. Oh, I love OpenGamingStore.com, and it's not just because I am an ooze and I can't go out in public. OpenGamingStore.com has tons of free PDFs, tons of... PDF bundles, and lots of physical products you can also buy. Not just gaming stuff. Cute onesies for where the kids are all. It's pretty incredible. Anyway, if you use the coupon code TOMESHOW2016 between now and February, you can get 10% off your order. Check them out, opengamingstore.com, and tell them the Tome Show and an ooze that sounds like Richard Nixon send you all. Alright, let's get into it, gentlemen. First of all, there's a story, I think, behind the the production and licensing of this book. Does, can, is, can anybody fill us in on sort of the history of how this came about? Are, are you referring to how uh, this is a conversion of, of the One Ring uh, role-playing system? Yes, yeah, so talk about that. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> Cubicle, Cubicle 7 uh, is a UK-based uh, publisher of role-playing games. Um, they've published some uh, Cthulhu games. They have the Doctor Who uh, role-playing game. Uh, several years ago, they, they acquired the license to publish um, role-playing games based in the world of... J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle Earth, and they put out the One Ring role-playing game. Um, it's, uh, I believe, we we even talked about it here on um, on on the roundtable. I think actually, mm. um, James, yes, James Intercasso had uh, me and Jay and Jeff Wickstrom uh, sort of have a, a discussion of Middle Earth role-playing in general, and the One Ring most definitely came up. Um, it's a it's it's a very it's a very not crunchy, very fluffy story based uh, system, 
And they've, they've been putting that out for a while now. They put out like maybe like one or two books a year. They're, they're not a very large company. Uh, and uh, with, the, with the advent of the fifth, fifth edition open gaming license, uh, they've, they've opted to simply convert uh, their, their rule system to fifth edition and put out a separate line in parallel, I guess, called uh, Adventures in Middle-Earth. And may I just say that if this is is a is a s- sample of of what is to come out of the fifth edition open gaming license, um, I am definitely looking forward to the future. Excellent. So, given that this is a conversion of the One Ring system, uh, and that the One Ring system, as you described it, was more uh, fluffy, D and D is a traditionally not very fluffy system. How does that conversion work out? Uh, well, I think I think fifth uh, edition really shows its versatility here. Uh, I mean, it's it's been it's been commented on on this show and on on the roundtable how fifth uh, edition has a lot of of rough edges. Uh, it's it was made to uh, be be very modular, right? That was that was one of the things that they were harping a lot during during the two years of, of development and playtesting that you could sort of swap out uh, rule system systems. And I, I think that's showcased very well here. Um, there, there's no races. Uh, instead, you pick cultures. There's no feats. Instead, you pick virtues. And, and they're sort of the same things, but, but different. And then there's, there's other rule systems like um, rules for journeys, rules for uh, how your character can be corrupted by shadow that are, are sort of woven, woven into this. Um, I think it works very well. It should be said that uh, this is obviously not the first encounter of Tolkien's work with D&D. Um, and classic D&D, they certainly made attempts at putting out Tolkien products, though they got sued into oblivion early on. Um, and there have been several people over the years who've done uh, games of, of various levels of, let's say, crunch uh, involving Tolkien. Uh, and uh, this one, I think it is... Absolutely, uh, you know, making use of the uh, versatility of the base system of 5th edition. I would not say that this is compatible Mm. with 5th edition in a lot of ways. I was going to ask about that. Uh Yeah, and I would say as well, it's a... I, I'm thrilled to see us at this point, because like Jeremiah mentioned, you know, early on, there was obviously many attempts to put... Tolkien-ish stuff into D&D, and it was met with the power of lawsuits. But now, man, I feel like I've been waiting my whole life for this to happen. It's one of those, one of these two kids finally going to get together kind of a thing. And uh, I am just thrilled to see to see such a, what I believe to be a pretty good marriage between D&D and uh, Lord of the Rings world. So, so talk a little bit about the difference between, um, you know, based on 5th edition D&D and compatible with 5th edition D&D. Am I, am I not sure. going to be able to pull out, you know, the, the Genasi from the, the one supplement I have and, and throw it into Middle-earth? No. Yeah, well, that's, that's an important distinction. I, I cannot say strongly enough how low, low magic this game is. I, I, I don't know how to say it in, <laughs> with enough lowness to communicate that to people. I think it's fantastic. It's incredibly low magic. And I can't stress how low. I think a lot of 5E players are going to feel kind of a jarring hitting of a speed bump when they come into this world and see no Arcana-based character options, really. Hmm. Or even even divine character options. Well, more to the point, um, structurally, it's uh, different enough that you know you're not going to take one thing from... Uh, one game and put it into the other very easily. Uh, the classes are different. Uh, the um, the backgrounds are even different, though they're structurally this uh, very similar. And you could probably it's the one section of the, the game you could probably pull over into regular five E. 
Um, but yeah, the, structurally they are they share some basic components. You know, you've got class, you got level, you've got the the stats, the D twenty mechanics, inspiration, a few other things, uh, skills. But overall, their design aesthetic is so radically different. You could not actually grab one and put it into the other in either direction. Mm. Are, there, are there some elements you could like? Could I take my my monster manual and, and use it to supplement my my Middle Earth game? Uh, I, I think you could, and that's what you have to do now until the the Lore Master book comes sure. out with monster stats in it. Um, I mean, if you're if you're a veteran uh, GM who's used to smashing rule sets together, uh, you probably could put a a Ganassi warlock uh, <laughs> into Middle Earth, and uh, it, it would have some serious balance issues. But if that, if that's the kind of thing you're you're used to doing anyway, uh, sure, you could you could do it because it. I mean, you you still roll a d20 to do stuff, and and high numbers hit. Right. And and lo- low numbers don't, but um, but then you're losing some of the Middle Earthness of it, right? Yeah, I, I mean the the focus of this of this game is a is a lot different. The balance is a, is a lot different. This is this is not a game where you're going to go into a a dungeon with a hundred rooms and every room has uh, five orcs in it. Um, this is a this is a game where you might spend the entire session getting to th- the dungeon, and the dungeon might be one room. And then you come home and spend a year um, tending to your farm or something. Hmm. Are there are there rules for the downtime of, of between adventures? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. In yeah, fact, sure. that's a pretty well developed piece of the puzzle. Um, the uh, the system it's called the fellowship phase, and I like about ninety percent of it a whole whole lot. They, there's a there's a lot of good detail about what characters can do, and it it really encourages the the players to narrate to the DM about their downtime, and and I thought a very cool way. The uh, you questioned whether or not you could put in uh, monsters from Monster Man. No, you can. With the caveat, be careful. Um, because mo- most of the monsters, balance-wise in D&D, are set up to take into account the you know how they designed the classes in D&D. So tossing in something that, you know, usually you might take out by having your wizard toss a, a fireball or something like that at it, might not go over so well with this. Uh, that said... Orcs are orcs, mm-hmm. goblins are goblins. Those will work pretty well in both uh, both games. And since they don't have the lore master out yet, they will soon. Uh, taking those out and putting them in as as filler is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Low level dragons also works pretty well. Mm-hmm. High end dragons in D anD D are going to annihilate almost any party in uh, in in. Adventures in Middle Earth. That's why you use armies to fight dragons in Middle Earth, right? Uh, yes. Or or one archer with with a with a well placed arrow. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there the I would say on the player class side because yeah, obviously you can always stick any monster in, and man, we as D and D players we all love our monsters, and we welcome as many Tome of Beasts and such resources as can possibly come out. We'll squeeze them in. But uh, on the on the player side of it, I would say with the classes, the the biggest similarity is is the fighter class. They've they've got a guy called the warrior, and he's the most similar of all the Middle Earth guys to the the D and D fighter. Not that similar, but the mo- more than the other things, in my opinion. We should mm-hmm. actually break that down. Uh, the, the list there are yeah uh, yeah. There's a a, a list of. Uh, different classes and different, like you said, cultures instead of races. Uh, maybe we should uh, quickly go over those. Mm-hmm. Um, so in uh, it, it is cultures instead of races, and this actually plays into something that probably would not have flown if it was come up with today, but because it's based on Tolkien, it's okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um 
different stats for not just like elf, dwarf, but uh, ethnicities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get different stats for different ethnicities, and that's mm-hmm. uh, you know in modern sensibilities that maybe doesn't play well. But this is very much an element of Tolkien, so it seems to fit here. Uh, in the cultures, you've got Bardings, Barnings, Dúnedain, Dwarves of the Lonely Mountain, Elves of Mirkwood, Hobbits of the Shire, Men of Bree, Men of the Lake, Men of Minas Tirith, Riders of Rohan, and Woodmen of the Winterland. Jeremiah, it sounded like you said Bardings twice, but I believe you meant to say Bayornings. Yeah, it, Bayornings is hard to pronounce. So... <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't know if there are actually mechanics in here for Bjornings to turn into a bear. I don't remember if I read that somewhere. But if there aren't, have, then there definitely needs to be. There are some virtues that actually uh, okay. allow them some similarities to that, but not fully on to uh, the, the their obvious origin there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. this this list of cultures to me is. Um, woefully short Uh, I I had the same thoughts and I'm not nearly the Middle Earth expert that you are the the game uh, assumes that you are that that you start your game uh, in uh, Lake Town uh, Mm. shortly after uh, Bilbo's departure shortly after the defeat of Smaug Uh, so it's it's locked into a specific time and place just, just like the One Ring role-playing game is. Uh, and, and the One Ring role-playing game has had a couple years of supplements under its belt that have expanded that, that focus, but Adventures in Middle-Earth is just getting started. Um, so if, you're, if, if you are, like me, a, a hardcore uh, Tolkien aficionado... Uh, you're you're going to have to make some of your own uh, content if you if you want to play in other regions and other times. It, it should be said a lot of games do this. I mean, even D and D has limited itself to a very narrow section of the Forgotten Realms for all its published stuff. Hmm. So I mean, it's it's not unusual these days. Uh, but yeah, if you're if you're like, but that's not my favorite section of Middle Earth. Then yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be waiting for a bit for an official thing to be coming out. Right. You can write your own, of course. You'll have to convert a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as the classes, again, the classes are different. They have some similarities. Um, you have the scholar. Now this is your wizard cleric archetype, but they do not have spells. Um. And they they split into either Master Healer or Master Scholar. You have the Slayer, which is kind of like a Barbarian. Okay. You have a Treasure Hunter, which is kind of like a Rogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. You can be be your Burglar like uh, like Bilbo was, right? Right. Uh, Actually, one of the subtypes is Burglar. Mm -hmm. The other one is Agent. Uh, The subtypes for Slayer are the Rider, so like Rohan. And the other one is Foe Hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the Wanderer, which is sort of Ranger-esque. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the Hunter of Beasts and Hunter of Shadows. You have the Warden. And they're kind of Paladin-ish, mm. I would say. Um, and they come with Counselor, Herald, or Bounder. Uh, and then there's finally the Warrior, and that is probably the most straightforward. No, this is really just a, a, a reskin of a fighter. Mm-hmm. And they come with uh, Knight uh, version or Weapon Master. Mm-hmm. So, so the game doesn't have races, has completely different classes, doesn't have feats, has virtues instead. Mm-hmm. Um, um Outside of the the six stats and rolling a d20 trying to get high, how much of this is actually D&D? And how much of it is them sort of tacking on their own game on top of, D, on top of a sort of a D&D skeleton? Well, I mean, presumably 
combat works works the same. Uh, the the general mechanics of of things like traveling, uh, long rest, short rest, weather, falling damage, traps, mm-hmm. like all that all that stuff is is probably the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we won't we won't really know until the lore master book uh, right. com- comes comes out. I mean, it's 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 a it's it's like when third edition was was all the rage and and, and you had all these d20 games that were that were not quite right d but they but they used the d20 20 uh, mechanics so this this is a this is a d20 game but it, it's not dungeons yeah. and dragons it, it feels more like uh, like d20 modern or mutants and masterminds was for third edition if that's a reference that anybody understands <laughs> sure 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I would say like in the the combat mechanics, it almost does nothing with combat in this. So it's saying, hey, use the five E stuff for that. Now, mm-hmm. what I was curious about though, and I'd love to know what you guys thought about this. I was a little murky on how they wanted to talk about healing because well, they don't really. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, I just the way they talked about healing suggested that maybe they're aiming at one of the optional slower healing rule sets that mm. from 5e rather than the main get your hit do your hit dice on the short rest and full recovery on long rest thing what yeah, do you guys think about that i didn't it it's it skipped my notice that that there were not so so, so there's no healing rules in here at all lewis there well, are well it some. i when when it this is this is supplementing the 5e set so Anything they don't say, I assume they mean to have you do it just like 5e. But there's a couple places where it mentions people recovering from injuries and healing, and it sounds really, really slow, and it made me wonder if they don't have the mainline 5e healing set in mind. My impression was that it was the mainline 5e healing set, uh, because the mainline 5e healing set is actually slightly slow, um, the, the, the assumption is that you're going to supplement it with like, you know, the healer Magic. in your party and, uh, the healer in your party here will be the scholar, uh, the master scholar, uh, the master healer, uh, path is preferable there. Um, but instead of casting spells, they use herbs and uh, their knowledge of different herbs, and they use them in different effects to you know heal you, cure your diseases, and do other things. They also have some innate abilities that allow them to do that as well. So those those definitely, I think they they are in keeping with standard five E rules in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will be slower healing just because you don't have a lot of instant heals like you do in. Uh, well, regular uh, fifth edition, you know, because you don't have the spells, right? Because you don't have the spells, right? Yeah. So, like your your adventure is is going to consist of you opening up a dungeon, going into one room, fighting, you know, one one deadly and encounter, and then and then arresting. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I mean, given and this is always the the classic sort of. Uh, difficulty with abstracting hit points, right? Is that is that hit points don't necessarily represent how healthy you are. It could be you know you're at a tactical disadvantage or you're exhausted or whatever. Uh, so having that normal sort of healing through through hit dice or whatever between encounters mm-hmm. sort of suffices to say, well, you know, you've reset your tactical disadvantage. You've rested a little bit. You're 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 more or less good to go because the loss of hit points wasn't actually being injured. Um, so, well, so you yeah. can still have that sort of a sort of a thing going on, and mm-hmm. without the magical healing, it still gets much more gritty than than normal five e. Sure, and the I mean the the base ability of the scholar in general before you even take a healing path is uh, uh, when you take a a a short rest, you have a a pool of healing that you can do one D eight per level of the scholar class. Hmm. So that's in addition to whatever they would get from a short rest, uh, which isn't actually that much different from low level healing, but it 
begins to it sort falls of behind. fall behind as you level up. Uh, they've they've also got uh, you know if you take the the healing path, um, you can actually get uh, a, a number of extra abilities over and above that. The, the healing herbs that I talked about, different healing lores. Um, and actually from, if I were not running a forgotten realms game, if I were doing my own world, I would actually feel comfortable pulling in this, uh, version of a magic user, you know, of a, of a a cleric into a game, Hmm. uh, because I, I find it compelling and interesting to, to replace traditional healing or do you think these classes could fit into uh, other D settings well it would not work in say uh you know traditional forgotten realms ebron ish i could see some homebrew worlds where you could easily replace but, but i mean mechanically will these classes sort of keep up with the others no okay no. <laughs> so so it is it is a a bit of a grittier um, setting. It's intended to be a grittier setting where, like like Jeff pointed out, you're going to be um, having a, a much smaller number of, of encounters, you know, uh, on your on your adver- adventures, right? Yeah, uh, and actually, there is a another direction you could go with that. Um, a lot of the sword and sorcery fiction archetypes, Conan, uh, Pfeiffer and the Gray Mouser, that kind of thing. Uh, don't have a lot of magical healing in them. Mm-hmm. So you could easily take this, lift it, and put it into your sword and sorcery style D&D game, and mm-hmm. it would work just fine. Okay. Because it yeah, would make sense in the world. Yeah, that's true. So it's tricky to talk about you know, how, these, are, how these, um, the, these player options are intended to play out because um, you don't have the, the other side of it, right? The lore master, the, D, the DM side of it. Of how do you const- how do you construct the stories that that make sense in with these kinds of characters and what have you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But you but you uh, anticipate that the PDF of that should be available uh, by the end of the year, by the end of twenty sixteen. Uh, by the end of this this month, according to the Cubicle Seven website. Okay. Yes. Now to follow up with that, a question I've got because they've been doing the uh, the One Ring game for several years now. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Um, are they planning on converting all? Because they've got quite a few resources out for that game now. Or do you, has anyone heard? Are they planning on converting all that stuff over to Adventures in Middle Earth? Or have you heard any plan about that? Uh, I I have not. I I imagine being being the small company that that they are, they're they're not even going to think about that until after the Lore Master's Guide is is already out. Yeah, I mean, um, I there, may, there may be a bit of a, just from the business standpoint, there may be a bit of a testing the waters, right? Let's see how sure. this sells and then figure out if we want to do more, right? right, I, right. I can't see how this doesn't sell through, through the roof. Um, and I, if, if I were them, I, I definitely would at least put out like, like a PDF of, of conversions, of, of just the rules elements. Right, well, yeah. Yeah. And it would it would seem to me, I mean, I'm looking at their website right now, and they've got about nine resources out for the One Ring. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking even now we could probably, I wouldn't want to do this, but we you could pick them up and, and use the fluff part of it, of course, mm-hmm. right away and have that in hand. But um, there's a lot of crunch you'd be lacking. Well, a couple of, of those books are just collections of ad- adventures. Um so you you wouldn't really need to do much work to convert those once you, um, once you had monster stats and and then, you know those kinds of mechanics. Yeah, I, I mean, and the and the and the and the setting books. This, I mean, the yeah, their 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 books are mostly fluff. Like there 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 is maybe ten percent uh, new new rules in any of of those books. So they should be hmm. really easy to uh, convert. And I'm and looking looking at at the bullet points on the on the lore master's guide just just to go back to a to a previous. Uh, topic that that we talked about the the lore master's guy promises to bring you fights that feel like those in the books. So I don't I don't know what 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 that means, but uh, maybe maybe we'll we'll get better healing rules and better better combat balance rules. I uh, I, I 
I do want to bring up a couple of uh, differences that I think are awesome and might be worth looking at doing crossovers the other direction with 5th edition. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, so uh, they, inc- they introduced virtues, uh, backgrounds, journeys, and uh, we talked about the fellowship and the the shadowing uh, the the shadow rules. Mm-hmm. Each of these actually has things that you could easily put into a D and D game to, to make the game more interesting without hurting the uh, the rules. They wouldn't unbalance things. Mm. Um, they don't have alignment in this game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but they do have the shadow, and the shadow is basically a corruption stat. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like. Uh, uh, insanity in Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu yeah. Yes. Uh, and as a replacement for uh, alignment, it makes for a, a much more interesting relationship for the characters with what they do and how that affects uh, them and uh, and affects the their their characters. And I think that that's definitely something that is worth bringing across. Uh, their version of backgrounds are much more flavorful. Is it the same concept as to what's what's in the core books for D&D? Sure. They but, just, they, but they've given given it their own flavor and, and Sure. Okay. Right. You know, like you would be in D&D there's like criminal uh you know or uh, a pirate or you know something sort of fairly standard. Sure. Uh you know, here's the background that you come from, soldier. Uh, something like that. Right. Whereas in this game, there are loyal servant, doomed to die, mm-hmm. driven from home, emissary of your people. I mean, these are really much more. This is the theme of your character. Mm. Well, I, was disapp- I was disappointed that that doomed to die does not give you one of, one of the nine rings. Oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, technically, those guys are still around, so I don't know. <laughs> They're doomed to die is slow. <laughs> yeah. It took them a long time. Well, they, they are dead. They just haven't stopped moving yet is the, that's, is that's the right. idea there. That's right, yeah. Now, and also, with following up on what Jeremiah was saying about those backgrounds being so flavorful, another neat part of that that connects to the corruption stat that we were just talking about is the fact that each there are there are several different kinds of vulnerability to the shadow that creeps into your life and slowly corrupts you and those are class specific things like uh, each class is more vulnerable to one sort of shadow weakness mm. than the others and that's another very flavorful thing so like i'm looking at the scholars one right now and of course his shadow weakness is the lure of secrets as as he quests for hidden knowledge he may find some hidden knowledge that's actually corrupting his soul in the process. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's neat stuff with that. Yeah, yeah. and, and um, the backgrounds. So Doomed to Die gives you the special feature Dark Foreboding. Uh, while they uh, know not the hour of their death, those Doomed to Die often have a sixth sense of a sorts when in the presence of Shadow. Um, they may... So they they can sense when they're near uh, a creature of shadow. Hark, my shadow sense is tingling. It's right, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's just it. It's a nice little. It's a different take on backgrounds that I liked. Uh, we also talked about virtues being a replacement for feats, and they are uh, definitely a replacement for feats. You automatically get one for uh, your culture. Mm-hmm. And the virtues are separated by culture, so it, you know uh, the the uh, uh, the guy who's from a Hobbit culture is not going to have access to the one from uh, you know the Bjarnings uh, or the Bardings or uh, the writers of Rohan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really uh, wish they would call the Bardings the 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 Men of Dale or something because that's. I say the Bardings are those the people from Lake Town? Yeah. No, they because because <laughs> there's there's also men of the lake. The Bardings are oh. specifically the people that followed Bard and resettled Dale. So they, okay, they changed but, but, culture by by. 
by following this one guy who was from from the town yeah. from like moving slightly north. Yes, right, yeah. well, because he is descended from the kings of of, of uh, that ruled the lands of Dale. But they 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 call it. Every every other uh, mannish culture in this book is men of something, and then you have bardings, right? So, it, which annoys me a little bit. But anyways, that's that's just well, me being, not all uh, of them do, right? I mean, the the writers of Rohan aren't men of something. True, true. I, I'm also annoyed that that men of Minas Tirith isn't men of Gondor. Um, but anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, and. Uh, and the uh, the virtues that are open to them are strictly tied to their culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that flavor. If I were designing a, a 5e game from the ground up right now, that would certainly be something I would probably incorporate in my design for feats. Sure. And and each each culture also has its own its own heirlooms that that, that serve as like treasure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No. It's it's also worth noting that I mean they have the advantage in something like this that they're only designing for one setting, whereas D and D had to be general, you know, to to design for everything. Uh, and so, yeah, you can absolutely do do this kind of cool stuff, uh, and it's awesome to hear that they that they are right in order yeah. to really incorporate different aspects of the of the game into the setting. It it does drive home that D and D is not Lord of the Rings, right? Because <laughs> D and D is its own separate thing, mm-hmm. and it pulls from a lot of sources. Yes, Tolkien was one of those sources, obviously. But the feel of a D&D adventure is nothing like the feel of a Lord of the Rings story. Mm-hmm. There's no right. there's no flaming vorpal swords here. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and Jeremiah, that's a really good point. That has never been more clear to me than having just read this book in the last couple weeks. You know, um, just how... You can see they're they're related, but they're more distant cousins than you would have you might have originally thought, especially with an outsider's perspective. Um, it does give you an idea of what people might do in the future with Five E, mm-hmm. um, where they because, like you said, they don't have to design for a generic game. They can afford to be a lot more unique and flavorful, and I think that's awesome. I think uh, this is a a platform of this is what you can do with this if you're willing to, you know, toss out some assumptions and uh, just focus on what you're you're wanting the the game to feel like. Can we can we talk about the 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 journey rules a, a little bit because that's that's another u- unique aspect of this. Of I this, was hoping uh, you would. <laughs> Of this system, which is which is, I, I both really love and is is also kind of annoying, because in in order to use the journey rules, you need a map, and and not just any map. You need a map specifically designed by Cubicle Seven for this game, and thus mm. far they they have not yet mapped out every region of Middle Earth to my satisfaction. Uh, in in this book, you get Wilderland. Which includes uh, Lake Town, Mirkwood, um, the the Misty Mountains, uh, the place where Bayorn lives, uh, Lothlorien, I think. Uh, and in 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 the One Ring supplements, they've they've done uh, Rivendell, and they've done Rohan. Could you and, and could you use the maps from the One Ring for the system here? You absolutely could. Okay. Because uh, it's 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 it they, they they've just reprinted the same the same maps. Sure. Um, so that's I mean that that's a bit annoying because if if you really wanted to do like one of the far flung regions like the far south or anything west of Bree, say, or if you wanted to do like the first age, you would have to basically make your own map in like a hex mapper and figure out like all. All the regions are color coded based on just like, like how dangerous they are and how hard they are to traverse, and it it gets really granular, I think. Um, so that's annoying, but the rules themselves are awesome because uh, m- most of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings uh, is is about a journey. 
I mean, people even even joke that the movies are about uh, Elijah Wood walking across New Zealand in real time for not nine hours. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. I disagree, and I, but yeah. Well, and I I agree that they they are simulating that part of the Middle Earth feel well. I don't like these rules. Uh, and I think, and they mentioned on the very first page of that part of the book that, that, Hey, you, the DM may choose to not use that basically. And to me, they feel a little bit like a solution looking for a problem, but I think they're there because of the, the material, the, the flavor of the source. Material. Well, right. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say the, the concept of the, of that style of journey is, uh, is, is iconic to the literature. Um, it's, to my opinion, one of the most, one of the least interesting things about that literature, <laughs> but but still, it's iconic to <laughs> well, the literature. I mean, these are right. these are rules for a world where people don't normally venture out their front door. Right. So if you're if you're going anywhere that's more than a couple of days away, it's an undertaking, and you need to think about what you're packing, and you need to think about where you're going, and you need need to study maps, and you need to be prepared for uh, the weather. So. Um, they've there. There's a there's an embarkation role, and you're supposed to you're supposed to figure out there. There's different roles uh, within the party when you're when you're journeying, and it's it's been a couple months since I actually read read the book, so uh, forgive me if I'm uh, for, forgetting lots of things. But there, there's you're supposed to pick like a like a guide and a and a lookout man. And uh, I think like like a quartermaster or something. Uh, uh, it's I, the guide, the scout, the hunter, and the lookout. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so there's there's a there's an embarkation role which which I think determines like just how prepared you are before you leave, uh, and then you can roll for a number of random events on a on a table, and I, I think that there's only like. 12 events or so but they're mm-hmm. they're broad enough that you can sort of spin them out into lots of different things and they can they can be either positive or negative depending on your your embarkation role uh and then and then when you get to where you are you you have the the arrival role which which determines what what mood everyone is in when you when you get to to where to where you're yeah, going yeah. so does uh, does uh aragorn and, and gandalf just get to automatically succeed at all these things because they just so, wandered all over the world, right? <laughs> let, let me let me add some rules context here. Make it up so you'll understand kind of where the rolls are going. It's rolling a d20, or a d12. D12, yeah. Modified by the guide's survival proficiency bonus, plus half their wisdom bonus, minus the peril rating. That's the embarkation roll. Now, uh, the... Uh, what that means is they take all of the risks on the journey, like what kind of terrain you're going on. If it's uh, easy terrain, it's only a one. If it's a daunting terrain, it's five. And they add all of these various perils together and then uh, do that roll to determine how hard it is a, a journey. And it, it, the events roll is also a D12. Uh, the, uh, why they decided to go that way, I guess, probably has to do with its origin in the One Ring rather mm-hmm. than anything due to Fifth uh, Edition. I say that because that mechanic does not sound very Fifth Editiony at all. No, I <laughs> say I'm I'm going I'm going to be the guy who defends this. I think this is kind of cool. Um, I mean, sure, it's an optional; you don't have to use it, of course, but it is far more interesting than a lot of random encounter tables I've seen over the years. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't run yes. random encounters, but yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, yeah. I think when we, when we go ahead, Jeff, I think, I think when, whenever we trotted out in our, in our game, the first time, there's going to be a lot of scratching of heads and a lot of hemming and hawing as we, as we figure it out. But, uh, I, I I'm definitely keen to try it. What were you going to say, Lewis? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I, I admit I may be a little closed off to it, partially because it looks like a math problem and I spent too much time helping my son with his physics homework last night. Yeah. <laughs> and that put me in a certain kind of a mood. Uh, but also, yeah, I hate the random encounter table stuff. I never do that. If, I, if I'm doing a pre-written adventure that's got that stuff in it, I may read some of those encounters and say, hey, that one sounds cool and I'll go ahead and script it in. 
you know, but uh, I, I do, that's just not something that fits my style of running a game. Sure. And so like, and it, with this, with the example of the charts they give, if you roll a high one, you could end up meeting like a major, major dude in Middle Earth. Like you could bump into Gandalf or out on the road and everything. And man, that's not the kind of encounter I want to have to make up on the spot because somebody rolled well. <laughs> You yeah, know. <laughs> it, it 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 seems like this is something that that at the end of the session you have the players decide where they're going, and then the GM figures all this stuff out between sessions. Yeah, and then and then the next session is when you play 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 the journey. Yeah, yeah I I would say this is a a good middle ground between these super random random encounter tables and just planning out everything. That, the the, uh, the players are going to do mm-hmm. uh, because sometimes it's true to say that if you plan out every encounter that they're going to have it can feel a bit railroady this adds right. a certain amount of random to that so it yes. feels a little less railroady mm-hmm. that's true yep it allows for encounters with uh trolls or whatever that try to eat your mm-hmm. hobbits and dwarves absolutely that's right and and of course, if if you're the GM, you can you can just change whatever you want, right? Sure. And don't even have to tell tell the players. There you go. So as we as we approach the end, I just want to give you an opportunity to to talk about um, anything that that we haven't talked about yet that might fit in under the the category of things that you liked or category of things that you think could be improved upon before we sort of do final thoughts. So, so let's start with uh, anything that we haven't talked about that you liked that you want to bring up. Okay, I got to go on this, man. It, here is my my favorite thing, and I don't know that anyone else would like this as much as I do. But uh, you know, I've been in lengthy conversations because of the Appendix N podcast about Tolkien stuff with these other gentlemen, and uh, I've talked with them about the fact that if you're not smoking a pipe while you're talking about this stuff, you're just not doing it right, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I am. I am historically a pipe smoker. I'm doing it right now as we have this conversation because you have to. It's like in the law or something. But uh, in this game, this is the most Tolkienish of all Tolkien things. There are mechanical things that happen around pipe smoking, and I just think that is the most stupid and awesome thing ever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are legitimate mechanical effects that have to do with pipe smoking. There's pipe weed mechanics. Yes. Awesome. I, I, you can't make that stuff up, man. <laughs> there are there are also uh, fireworks, uh-huh. and uh, there are there are uh, dwarven toys uh, specifically because there was a line in the Hobbit where the dwarves talked about how uh, the in the Lonely Mountain in the in the olden days they were renowned for their for their toys. There you go. I I uh, I, I I will I'll go broad here. Uh, I particularly like the layout and the design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that there are portions of it that maybe won't work so well for people with uh, visual difficulties because they do a fair amount of here's an in-character text with this particular font that might be hard for people with visual difficulties. Sure. That said, the layout is excellent. The artwork is, you know, First class, they did not skimp on the art. Um, it is uh, it, it it delivers the feel of the Tolkienian sort of aesthetic uh, and gives you lots of lots of pretty things to look at to put you in the right mode and and, and vision of what these characters are supposed to look like. Uh, so I, I I've got to applaud the just the overall design. Should we assume it's, uh, that the uh, art is largely recycled from the One Ring? Yes. I, okay. Yeah, I assume uh, it is, but yeah, I agree with Jeremiah. This book is beautiful. Yeah, and to tie it into something that Jeff just said, uh, the way they tie they tie their material into the books, man, there are so many quotes from the books all over the place mm-hmm. and just little details, man. They. That they went through this with a fine-toothed comb, and they just did a marvelous job. There's so much stuff that's very directly tied into the source material, and they get a gold star for that. They did a great job. Good. Anything else on the uh, stuff you like? Um, I it's so we're all uh, Tolkien nerds. Yes. 
what I mean, like I I have actually uh, uh, resources for uh, doing translations to Cinder and and a couple of other Tolkienian languages that I've used to give people birthday uh, messages. Uh, we've we we all have read these books incessantly. We we've analyzed them. We know them in and out. There are people who are not us. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! There are there are non you people. Yes, uh, and I like the fact that they take the time to share details about the peoples and the lands. It is focused on uh, on the the wilderlands, and I know that Mister Wynn is anti wilderlands. I'm not, I'm not anti wilderlands. <laughs> but, did I, did uh, I say that? I didn't say that. <laughs> but because they can focus it on that, they can spend time talking about these cultures, talking about these people, talking about the the, the world in a level of detail that is uh, good for people who are not us, who do not already know all the things and the various names of Gandalf. Um, and, and I appreciated that. <laughs> uh, Gandalf isn't isn't even even in this book. Radagast is. Yeah, uh, yep. but I mean. I can I can hand this to one of my nieces or nephews who have not read all of that stuff, and they could walk away and, and play a, a fairly effective game mm-hmm. in the world using the appropriate stuff and know what what's going on. I I will say that that the Rohan book for uh, the One Ring system, um, was I I uh, Presented me with with a a picture of of Rohan that was that was far more uh, com- complex and 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 compelling than than I I had thought. Um, it's it's still set in the in the time shortly after the defeat of of Smog, and I think the guy on the throne is Theoden's grandfather, mm. and and they. They talk about how his his father was a, was a corrupt guy, and the, and and the current king is 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 busy cleaning out all that all that corruption and trying to establish his reign. Uh, and Aragorn is walking around in uh, disguise, and I didn't know any of that. So, hmm. uh, yeah, even even yeah, even for for someone like 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 me, these the the way they they write these books can uh, can make you aware of. Of possibilities and storylines um, for your for your games. I just wish there were there were more locations and more time periods. Sure. I, and I, and I, in theory, I, in theory, you keep buying the books, and uh, they'll eventually get to whatever it is you want, right? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think I think it's, I think it's going to be. I don't I don't know if they'll ever go to other time periods. Oh sure. Well, that, I mean. That, you, when, yeah, once they detail be, uh, the entire world in the one time period, then they might decide to go on to others, right? <laughs> you might be waiting well, it, ten years, but yeah, 10, it'll be easier now. to go uh, after the War of the Ring than it would be to go uh, the you know the First Age. I think I think we we discussed this in uh, James Intercasso's roundtable, but mm-hmm. um, J.R.R. Tolkien himself tried to write a story that was set after the Lord of the Rings and even he couldn't do it because hmm. the end of the Lord of the Rings, everything interesting about the world just kind of goes away. And, and the best that Tolkien could, could come up with, he, he started to write a book called the new shadow. And it was about a plot to assassinate the King of Gondor, who was Aragorn's like great grandson or something. And he just gave up on it. Cause he was like, well, Someone's going to foil the pl- the assassination plot, and that's going to be it. Like, the, like Middle Earth turns into into our world after that. It's it's just it's just not that that compelling anymore. I mean, I think a lot of people would say that our world is very compelling if you're if you have the right creative spin to it. But well, but then you're then you're. But running, that's not you're, the story. That's not the story Tolkien was interested in telling. You're you're running alternate history, or you're you're running like Seventh Sea, or or something, or or Savage Worlds, or something something <laughs> along those lines. Sure. Would you like the children to get off your lawn now, Mr. Wynn? <laughs> <laughs> hey, if they can if they can come up with a with an awesome idea for something that happened in the in the fourth age, I'll I'll listen to it. <laughs> I, I I can totally write cool things that happened in the fourth age. I mean, just look at history. 
I mean, cool, cool stuff cool did stuff happen. Happens. Okay, well, when you're when you're running your Adventures in Middle Earth Fourth Age game, uh, I will I will play in it. Okay, there you go. I, I'm just saying that compared to the First Age, which has uh, the 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 power level kind of goes in the opposite direction, needle wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it begins. It gets silly um, to try and put together a game set in that. See, I want to run a game in the Second Age because we don't know anything about the Second Age. So it's a but there's, life. yeah, like all like everything west of the Misty Mountains is is wilderness except for except for um, the the Ringsmiths. But but then you've then you've got the Numenorians making making settlements. It, it, it's it's almost got this New World North America feel where where you've you've got this savage wilderness and you've got settlers coming in and. I, I want to run. Okay, a okay, okay, okay. You win. You win the geek crown tonight. You got it, <laughs> man. He he wins all of those when we have these kind of conversations. I know. I know. Okay, so I want to I want to flip that question on its head before we before we wrap up here. Uh, so so those are the things that we hadn't talked about that you'd liked. Is there anything that you think has some room for improvement that you think people should know about? Um. So I think as – and this is going to be a, a, a neat room for improvement but maybe fixed by lore master. Um, clearly, this is a player's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is not much here for a game master to sink his teeth into. Uh, and uh, there is no guidance at all. Uh, in this book, at least, for how do you structure, uh, you know, encounters. Uh, I mean, even if you're using the monster manual, and I can come up with, you know, like, all right, I can use these guys because they're not that powerful. I can't really toss in the beholder. He's a bit of a problem. But, you know, I I can do that. But there's no structural uh, guidance. There is no... uh, Yeah, they released this many months before they released the Game Master book. Right. And that's kind of annoying. Because when I reached the end, I was like, wait, that's it? Right. Oh, Here's if, all if the player recall, stuff. Six months later, you can play a game. Yeah. If, if, if you recall, Wizards of the Coast did kind of the same thing. No. Wizards hmm. of the Coast released the Player's Handbook, and then next month, the game... The, the, the uh, Game Master's guy... No, the Game Master's guy was the third one. The Monster Manual was the next mm-hmm. one. So, like, back-to-back, you had the two things you needed and the third thing that would make it work better. I, I, I recall that that, that that month between the Player's Handbook and the, and the Monster Manual was a very trying trying month. <laughs> oh, sure. But, but, it's not, but a trying month is very different than a trying, like, four months. Also, to be fair... They also released the basic rules before any of those came out. Mm-hmm. So you already had the basic stuff that you needed. The, the starter set, you mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, the starter set plus they released the document before the... Oh, did they? The, I couldn't remember if the, if the actual basic rules document was out by then. Yeah, the basic rules document came out uh, around the same time as the starter box. So by the time the, uh, the Player's Handbook and the Monster Manual came out, you had all the rules that you needed. Um... I mean, yes, the Game Master's Guide added more, and but by that point, you already had all the rules you needed. I do not have the equivalent with this. Yeah, it's 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 definitely not. It 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 does not feel like a complete game at this at this point. I wish there was a lot more about uh, the 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 fellowship phase and and what all that you can you you can do with that. I I found those rules to be pr- pretty vague. Mm. Um one of one of the things you can do in the fellowship phase is you can you can open a sanctuary and that requires every member of the party to concentrate on doing that for the entire fellowship phase, but it doesn't adequately explain like what a sanctuary what is or, or why it's why it's valuable to you. So uh you you, you definitely need need the other half of, of the rules for some of some things in here to make sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the fellowship phase is one of the things I was kind of most interested in. Yeah. And it's I would big. Yeah. I, and I would say that I, I've got two categories of stuff to answer your question, Jeff. One is something I don't like as much or needs work. And the other is something I think some people won't like. I like it fine, but some people won't. And it's to do with the, the thing I don't like as much as the fellowship phase, just in the sense that, 
the way it presents itself in that material doesn't, in my mind, loan itself very well to a weekly or every other weekly. The, the adventure's not over, but we're going to play it in four-hour blocks over several months sort of a thing. You know, um, it's. I feel like they're looking for a hard stop at the end of your session sometime that just mm. that just doesn't actually happen. Well, I, I, I don't think the fellowship pretty- phase comes comes at the end of a session. It comes at at the end of an adventure, and they and they say that an adventure <laughs> should like your your party should go on like one or two adventures a year. Right. Yeah. But I think the way the, some of the language they use makes it sound like. Hey, near the end of your session, do this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. It just it just needs more more things. So that's mm-hmm. something I thought was soft. Now, something I think that I'm okay with, but a but some people will not be. I've already mentioned the low low magic part of it, which I'm great with that. It's true to the source material, but some people won't like that. And the other is the alignment thing. Now, when you get a bunch of D and D players talking about alignment, that's a way to get a fight going. Just be part of the team. <laughs> be on the D&D Facebook group and watch that go. You know, uh, People get so aggravated about this topic. And in this world, you must play a good guy. You know, uh, And when you don't play a good guy and conform to the morality of this world, you get shadow points. And if you get enough of those, you your character gets taken from you and becomes a, a bad guy or kills himself or goes crazy or mm-hmm. something. Bad stuff happens. And I'm fine with that because of the source material, but there are a lot of D and D players who, who don't even like this kind of conversation. I feel like. Well, then, right, the, you, then they shouldn't be playing Middle Earth because that's not the story yeah, that Middle Earth. That's has. right. That's right. You, you that's run exactly. into that same sort of thing in Star Wars, where uh, the 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 players don't decide what's good or evil. The Force does. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it, it's the murder hobo problem. Um, <laughs> Where you know D and D characters often end up being murder hobos. They wander around killing things that they want to kill, and collecting stuff. Yeah, throwing morality aside as to the the killing of things. Right, uh, yeah. and this game does not suit that. I'm okay with it. I don't think that's a problem. But yeah. yes, some yeah. people will have a yeah, problem I, with it. And I don't know that it's a weakness. It's it's just a, a an expectation that needs to be clear when you go into this kind of a game. Absolutely. So that's right. Uh, All right. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna add one last uh, negative that I okay. just thought of, uh, having just scrolled through this, and this is a negative that some people may not agree with me on, but I'm gonna go ahead and put it out there. While I love the artwork, they could have been more diverse. There is actually no good reason why there aren't any people of any other ethnicity than Northern European. And there you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and I that, it's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, I yes, it's inspired by Northern European epic poems, and right. yes, uh, a, a lot of the presentations have always involved that. But it doesn't actually restrict anybody of a, a different kind of ethnic appearance uh, in the in the actual original sources. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little kind of. I, I, I just realized there's nothing here. There there are plenty of women though. There are a lot of women. And I'm I'm glad of that, but there aren't any people of, of any other color than, you know, your northern European white guy. How many of the of the women are scantily clad? None. Uh, none. Good. Good. That's right. No chain male bikinis in this, which <laughs> the, I'm very pleased with. Save that I'm, for the Conan book. I'm looking at at the Wanderer right now, and she's an awesome uh, male-clad woman with with an eye patch. Sweet. Yeah. All right. She well, we cool. oh, go ahead. No, I, I just said she looks cool. Yeah. So we are over an hour at this point. Any quick last thoughts before we wrap stuff up? I love this thing, and I'm very likely to buy everything they put out for it. All right. I'll go ahead and say I'm a, uh, I'm a fan. I think uh, overall this is a, a lovely product. Uh, once they put out the supporting material, I am absolutely interested in playing in the world. And I also see it as an excellent inspiration for doing some of my own homebrew stuff. There you go. 
Jeff, last thoughts? Uh, I'm uh, currently uh, hoping to one day uh, play a, a, a game over Skype and, and Roll20 with some of these fine people here. And you may even be able to listen to it right here on the Tome Show feed. And the more I keep saying it out loud, the more likely it will actually happen. Yeah, so. now you've said it publicly. I know you've been, you've been, we've been emailing about it for months, but now it's out there publicly. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, and See, if I if I get emails from listeners who who think that it's it's a great idea and and send me letters of support or even uh, cash, um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe 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 not cash, but uh, letters of support. It, it, it's it's yeah. even more likely that that will be an actual uh, reality. So so everybody, shoot me an email at thetomeshow at gmail dot com or call the biz line at nine one nine biz tome b i z t o m e. And let me know, to let Jeff know, that you want to hear uh, an actual play game of the Adventures of Middle-Earth uh, run by him. And uh, we're, I think we were even at one point talking about trying to get a, a live stream going so people could watch it that way. Uh, but that's all sort of technically in the works at this point. So, All right. Uh, yeah, McCoy? I, I'm just looking forward to playing my uh, uh, my my Hobbit. I want to play Hobbit. I get to be Gandalf, right? Yes. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> all right. We're going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode. I want to thank all of you out there for listening. I want to thank OpenGameStore.com for supporting us. I want to thank Jeff Wynn. You can go catch him over on the Appendix N podcast. Anywhere else you want to talk about, Jeff? Uh, not yet. All right. Uh, I want to thank Jeremiah McCoy, who has a YouTube channel called The Basics of the Game. Anything else you want to you want to talk about, Jeremiah? Uh, I, 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 I need to get to writing. There the word count is going to eat me. <laughs> Jeremiah is doing NaNoWriMo this month. It's uh, November as we're recording, and uh, he's falling behind on word count as we speak. Uh, and Lewis, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at Twitter at Rev Lewis Brenton. I also write at lewisbrenton.com, both gaming material and other stuff. And yeah. All right. And I also want to thank uh, I also want to thank all of our listeners for supporting the show by shopping through our affiliate links on Amazon or the DMs Guild. Uh, this has been episode 271, where we ushered in the next age of in this episode of I'm off the wall.